Hey, Peacenicks. Today's guest, the return of Dr. Junkie himself, Ben Boyce. One of my favorite people in the world to talk to. We had a great conversation. It kind of weaved in and out from drug addiction and the war on drugs to politics and religion. We talk about our upbringing in both of those worlds. So I don't think there's anything else I really need to say in this introduction because you're going to enjoy this. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug Drugs are menacing our society. Your thoughts on the drug problem? I had a great time doing drugs. So tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the piece on drugs. What's going on? Hey, how you doing? Good, how you doing? I'm fabulous. Do you ever wake up with Christian songs in your head from your childhood? Christian songs? Um, I, I do, but I sing my dog is an awesome dog because I have dogs. Yeah, this morning was uh, God's Got an Army. It's been stuck in my head all day, but I realize that's probably a Freudian thing because I spent the last couple of days uh, listening. I got through your last, your two most recent podcasts, and I was like, man, you are a man after my own heart. It's funny to to hear somebody talk about a lot of the same stuff. So we got lots of time today, but I was telling my partner before I came in here, I was like, I have a feeling this is going to end up in religion and trauma and politics and how all of that's related to drugs, but we'll see where it goes. I, I'm, yeah, we can go wherever we need to go. I, <laughs> I um, yeah, everything leads back to politics and religion. And I, I, for a while, I tried to avoid politics on this because I wanted to be more inclusive, and it's just impossible to avoid uh, because I would want yeah. drugs. So let me let me give you a, a compliment that's well deserved. Uh, you've helped me realize once again this is an ongoing process that my trauma it still really informs a lot of my behavior. And uh, the last couple episodes, I've heard you just as one example. You've done this in the past too. Respond to tough love, but. And, and say the same things I would say, but instead of when that illogical demon pops into the room and people are saying very intelligent things that are thought out and then like a statement slips in that you're like, that doesn't make sense and you should have thought about it a long time ago, they rush past it. And I'm the one that's like, no, that statement hurt me and I'm, you know, pissing people off. It was, it's been impressive to hear you do it, not just with the tough love notion and push back a little bit, but with some of the ideas of spirituality creeping into places where it doesn't belong. And I mean, I, I've, I'm making, you're making me rethink some of my therapy moving forward and how I deal with people when they show up like that. Cause sometimes I push back like right now and really hard. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I'm not exactly sure what, what, um, I, that I, I, I guess I'm just, do it so automatically. The, the, the tough love was, I want to say it was two weeks ago, and I'm totally spacing on the names of your guests. I should remember uh, the the author has a podcast, I think, with her Te husband. Tez, Tez Lord. Yeah, yeah, there was a Z in it. And it was a, actually an interesting theory that we're going through this you know, social patch right now. And I didn't have a chance to read or listen to her talk about that. But you unpacked that pretty well, that she's saying you might uh, look at how a lot of people reach quote rock bottom and that's their turning around moment culturally we're kind of going mm -hmm. through this rock bottom moment and that can be looked at as a good thing she's not necessarily wrong i mean our entire culture is built to push people and ideas and philosophies to rock bottom to ignore them until things get so bad that they either die and go away or they do something extraordinary and go away because they fix stuff but 
again, I, I think in the moment I would have been like, well, hold on, let's talk about all the problems with rock bottom. And it was, it was just interesting to hear you say all the same things I would have said, but yeah. put it together in, in a very trauma informed way, maybe. Again, yeah, this I, is I all just, about me realizing like, oh, these are things that I'm still hurt about. So I get really loud and pushy sometimes when they come up. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, when she just, when she said that, I thought to myself, I was like, rock bottom for some people is a turning point, but why does it have to get that far? Like, I don't think for me, I got my, through my addiction without getting rock bottom. I got into a, a place that was very uncomfortable and not good for me. And that's why I turned around, but it wasn't rock bottom. I was never... Um, in I've never met anybody that's been there. It, they all I've met a lot of people that think they have. I spent a lot of time in 12 steps, but it's one of those, I, I use the term demon. I haven't really come up with the right term. These like boogers that show up in beautiful conversations and you can tell they're rooted. You've heard somebody say that 8 trillion times and you know it's true. So it can slip into thought. And somebody like me is like, can you tell me what would have been worse than that? And there's always an answer. So what yeah. they mean is this is as low as I ever got. And in our culture, we've established a, a language that reinforces going to 12 steps, getting your spirituality and religion right, working 40 hours a week so you can be productive. And part of that is I hit my rock bottom. And I'm totally with you that if that philosophy works for you, that's great. But I've never met anybody that's been there. There is no rock bottom until you're dead. And that's the unfortunate thing. You don't turn around after that. Yeah, exactly. And that's why when she talks about our society being at a at a what, a rock bottom or whatever, and that this is our turning point, it's like, I don't think us getting to this place of how divided we are and everything, I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think, like, why do we have to get get, get all the way down to go up? Why couldn't we just start from mm -hmm. a higher level and go up from there? But, um, and I, and I don't I like hope she's I, right in a weird way. I mean, no, of course, of course I do. And I, and I liked her optimism. There's nothing wrong with being optimistic about the way things are. Yeah. And I, and I re, I do hope that things turn around, but I don't necessarily I I I'm just I'm a little pessimistic about it because of my I talked to my family about it and and they uh, and I can't talk to them anymore about it actually like I just don't. And there's where how is this rock bottom in the sense that we might turn around if uh, and it's not just you you did an excellent job of handling this over the last few weeks too of not letting the trauma because that hurts when you and I were both raised in an evangelical household we learned to sh wear our religion on our sleeve and our spirituality on our sleeve and to speak up for things that are morally right now what we were told we learned was speak up for christianity because it's morally right Spe but when we when we moved on in life i this is what i get from your speech too and i've talked about this that identity sticks and when we start to to as you've again talked about in the last couple of weeks separate ourselves from some of the problematic habits and substance use that we realize is negatively infecting affecting us we usually realize oh i was indeed medicating what i felt like i wanted to say but i couldn't because i knew i wasn't backing up we evolve our, our spirituality and then we learn to speak about it hopefully in love but i think we have i'm I, you were echoing my own experience i've actually moved away from speaking to my family about it because it's hopeless it has done nothing except divide and nobody's interested in in moving at all and if that's rock bottom then how do, we're, it doesn't get any better until we start talking again but when those of us that seem like we're we've been on both sides we understand both sides and we have both usually think that it's more in the middle than either extreme we're giving up so who's going to do the talking yeah yeah it's uh and also when, when it comes to religion it's um it's a tough thing because for one, like I, I used to talk about 
problems I have with religion when they try to put them into the po into politics. And I would just try to go go after the religion itself. And I realized that's a losing battle for one because I don't have any uh, science doesn't offer any alternatives to death. So it's like if not you have, yet, not, not that we know of. That's on our list today too, by the way. Consciousness. <laughs> yeah, well, because I, I and I've been in a place now because I'm I'll be I'll be turning forty in February, and um, and I think I'm just finally at that place where I, I think about death now, and I think about it a lot to the point where it's not healthy. And I'm reading this book by Ram Dass called Walking Each Other Home, and it's about mm -hmm. uh. Uh, confronting death and being comfortable with it and it's actually kind of been really awesome to read just um somebody that was at the death's doorstep and was very comfortable with that and i like so i feel like that this book's actually helping me but and it's not necessarily that it's, i'm terrified of death i think about the death of you know my loved ones and you know because it's just a weird phenomenon but i also think it, i don't know but it, my point is is that when we talk to people about religion and they, they're terrified of death too when i talk to my family i see it in their faces and also what's weird is how some of the most spiritual people in my family are also some of the most health conscious people because they're constantly worried about cancer and worried about this and this could kill you. And it's like, you're clearly scared of death, which is also why they're so religious because they need that to be true because they're so terrified of losing this. And it's, a, it's all about, and this is what Ram Dass talked about. It's all about attachments. We, we, the more attachments our ego has, the scarier death is going to be. You got to let all that go. But um, yeah, yeah, science doesn't offer an alternative. So when I say, well, what do we know it, of? Yeah, well, I mean, as far as a story, like you said, well, eventually one day it may figure out what this all is. Is it a simulation? Is you know, I don't know. Yeah, which How, would mean I, it already did. Because the first thing, I don't know if you've dove into simulation theory, but when you talk about taking our religious background and finding something that will make you think that something you had to throw away and you love it, so it's actually in the closet because you couldn't throw it away, you can go get that stuff out. And think about some of the things in simulation theory. The second we live in in computers or something like a computer, our consciousness is long, no longer attached to biology. We don't die. That means I have no reason to rush to do anything tomorrow. Uh, I, there, like, there's no pain. We're gonna. It's not gonna be life. We're gonna immediately realize we've got to get to work figuring out what life is because this ain't it. I can go anywhere at the speed of life. I don't smell or look or act like anything my relatives don't want me around because when i show up with this weird avatar and just sit there it's boring for me i have access to infinite wisdom i think we're going to immediately if we get to this point get to the job of how do we recreate that experience and without the fear of death and in fact the terrifying fear of death as like the precursor to everything i don't think it would ever work as well which means if there ever was a simulation it would have to be designed in such a way I mean, presumably, that you would constantly play along. I mean, what reason do you have to play along if you know that's ah, actually still infinite? I'll just die and start over. I'm going to see yeah. if I can blow up a nuke or something stupid. You have to feel like this is it. And I, this is where my religion is going to creep in a little. It's not woo-woo because this is all just speculation and fun. But mm -hmm. if you were going to say what would be a... a time that you would really want to experience even if you're going to say how about educationally things that you could never learn the same from reading a book or being told about as you could from experiencing imagine the life you and i have both lived where the phones used to plug into the wall you had a big stretchy cord that would whoop you in the face and strangle <laughs> you and you had to turn a dial right and you would only one at a time and then we learned about call waiting and then we learned about pagers which were like refrigerators you carried that just beeped at you and gave you a phone number and you had to go find a phone to cell phones to what we're doing right now i don't think that would ever read as well in a history book i think the era that we're living through especially if you know there's some groundbreaking thing on the horizon seems like the rise is 
would be a pretty popular space to simulate and go back again this is none of this is evidence it's all supposition but a lot of things line up when you think about well what would eternal life look like outside of a spiritual context so i heard you or a, a religious context i'd meant i'd heard you talking about consciousness being hard to really grasp i think that would also be required for the simulation to work but i i think it's actually as simple as ones and zeros as connections and not connections and it feels really personal to us because we're in here but i think the next hundred years we're going to realize that we've been building conscious beings that it just comes down to processing power and memory and speed yeah and i think maybe that's why there is starting to get a little bit of um collective psychosis happening because as we as we technology grows we're starting to see what the possibility of consciousness might be just more mathematical than we ever realized and we're seeing it in our own technologies and our own ai and our own talking to siri and stuff like that it's yeah. it's getting a little weird and it's getting a little too close to home with the robotic when robotic meets humanity yep i was thinking about trump and what sort of upgrades he paid for because i was like you know my whole life he's not only he he's like rewritten parts of the simulation his name's always been on something he's been on a permanent and it was like aligning with about the time I was born, a guy was already in Home Alone. So again, I'm not suggesting this is real. Uh, I'm totally spacing on his name. I want to say it's Niels. Oh, crap. Tyson. No, there's a that does a lot of the work on simulation. Uh, oh, yeah, I've never, I haven't read much it. about it. I've I know Elon Musk has talked about it, and yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't actually done much research on it. I I do think it's uh, interesting. But uh, also, I agree with what you're saying, uh, and I've thought this. Like I've always wondered. What, what for what I've said for whatever reason and we don't know that we exist and existence is here and for whatever reason we were not supposed to know why because we were not giving a pamphlet on that or anything and some people say yeah we were the Bible it's like no that's something we created there's a bunch of we created a bunch of those um, and and that goes back to a few there's a book Sapiens by uh, Yuval Harari I've been talking about him a lot but he explains how it was you know what is it called D Dunbar's number we only have the ability to have a connection a, a true emotional connection with 150 people yeah. and he said so how does how does a society with millions work well you have to create fictional stories and we are a species that's able through language to tell fictional stories that will bind us the story of we're american well that's a story now we can stick to that and religion was the first way that these societies were able to start growing out agricultural societies where they all got along was through well yeah. you're a christian you're a christian and there was countless different versions of these stories it was christianity muslim there was you know the native americans had their own gods there's been gods and mysticism throughout history and um for some reason the christians just kind of took hold and it was because of the way they told it was this is the only true one most of the other ones were open to other ones being true christianity said nope this is going to be the only one and that story just spread and now it's become the story yeah. and for most people and they believe it's so true it's like no this was just a, the story was just a tool to, to bind people. That's all it was. And it should, this is another one of those, those boogers that sometimes sneak in when people are, in fact, this might be one I've heard you say, and it, it's not like it's totally wrong. It's just that like, I'm the guy that wants to be like, what about this first, this verse, and this verse? When people say, well, I really want to be Christ-like. And I'm like, okay, a lot of that. Yes. But this is the dude that invented hell. I mean, like, let us not forget that before G gentle Jesus, meek and mild, as Stephen Hawking is, uh, not Stephen Hawking, Richard Dawkins has described him. There was no version of hell. Judaism basically had, where you remember a lot, begging for like a drop of water from this in-between place. Doesn't sound very pleasant, but it was considered like in a spiritual in-between while you finish up whatever work you got to do to go on to the beyond. 
And it didn't work in Christianity until somebody wrote that in, whether Jesus said it or not, who knows. Um, I mean, you've done some cool talking about how his story seems to be a pash to say of winemaking 400 years earlier as a first miracle, right? Right. But I think that has a lot to do with why those stories are written the way they're written. Yeah, and, and I said, I never even put that together that Jesus, it was the, the, the New Testament that where hell came from. Um, cause I, I've never, I've never read the Bible through and through. I've read it, you know, a lot in Sunday school, different parts, but every time I try to read the Bible, I just, you're not it, supposed to be able to read it. Yeah. Well, it starts with a stupidest story and I can't get past it. It's like, all right, there's Adam and Eve. They have two kids, Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel. And then God for punishments, like you're banished from the garden and I'm going to put a mark on your forehead. So everybody knows you're a murderer. And he's like, well, if, if everybody knows I'm a murderer, they're, they're going to kill me. He's like, I'll make the punishment for hurting you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like. Where did all these other people come from? Immediately, the story makes zero sense. And that's the foundation oh. of the whole thing. And you won't go any farther. I had the conversation with, I, won't, I definitely won't mention names because it's somebody I still care about. I'm much like you. I have a lot of people really close to me that I've tried to keep having these talks. And I just pushed a little further because they're raising kids. I have a lot of kids in their circle, actually, that are listening to them and taking spiritual cues. And he was. Ex I said, so, you know, what were they? And it was this conversation that, quickly swerved into Hitler-esque. As weird as this seems, I actually said the statement like, this is the stuff that Hitler used to say. It was, there was genetically inferior species there. And the reason they don't exist anymore is God had to wipe them off the face of the planet. And that's why the Amalekites later, when you, this is, this is their words, not mine, but the Amalekites are wiped off the face of the planet because Yahweh woke up the Israelites in the middle of the night and said, grab your 12 year old sons and go in there and murder them all. Women, the, w w murder the goats murder any kid that is a male that appears to be a male and you're allowed to keep ew, the i believe it was the virgins under 12 or something if you want you're, you're welcome to take them which is again the sort of stuff that like by deuteronomy if you're really reading it close every alarm in your brain should be going off and saying whatever truth and beauty i was finding in this somebody has put their fingers in this this is not the almighty creator of the universe who can snap their fingers and if people need to not be on the planet, he can make they can make sure they never existed in the first place. What's all this infliction of trauma? Bring your kids and, and murder folks and don't make peace, make war. If you are the all-powerful loving God, soften hearts, make peace. That again got updated in the New Testament, but it's in weird ways that we see like even a selective reading all the way through when Jesus didn't come to save everybody, especially not at first. There's stories that are still included of Gentiles, non-Jewish people coming and talking to him and him calling them dogs, saying, like, I, you, I did not come for you. So oh, the woman with the bleeding issue, if you want to look this story up. And in the end, he heals her, but only because she proves she's really clever. He says, well, she says, well, master, even though you didn't come for the dogs, isn't it okay for the dogs to eat the scraps off the master's floor? And he's like, oh, that's really good. Those are the sorts of things that I'm like, whoever is saying the Bible's beautiful, I try to be like Christ, I assume is probably not following those scriptures. But it's those statements that can sneak in and they're, they're, they're ironclad. Like somebody right now, like me, that would say, I don't know if we should be trying to be Christ-like. I turned off about a 30-year audience as soon as I said that. And hopefully they listened through to the end. In the end, Christianity, evangelicals, the Baptists up the road, the Presbyterians, one of these groups may be right. I haven't seen confirming evidence that they're wrong. I just know that everything in me goes off, that the story itself is like, you can call that a lot, but you can't call it unconditional love. It definitely not unconditional. I mean, there's a lot of conditions 
And like you said, when, when you talk about, um, I mean, there was a lot of genocide in the Old Testament, and it was by God himself. Um, right. Well, no, it, by people oh, doing God's bidding, well, which is really weird. Well, in Sodom and Gomorrah, he did that, though, right? That was fire from the right. sky. And right. um, and that story is bizarre in itself. Um, there was a funny YouTube video. You can just look up uh, Sodom and Gomorrah cartoon. Um, and But saw, saw, basically saw is like, these angels come down to skies as sexy dudes and like, He's going to go find out how much homosexuality has happened there. So they knock on Saul's door and Saul's like one of the only few good ones left. And Saul's like, everybody's banging on his door to, to have sex with these, with these guys. And he's like, no, don't take the guys. You can have my virgin daughters. They Clearly whoever wrote this has never met a gay person in their life. <laughs> right. Right. And um, but yeah, it's back to your point, which is like, wait, wait. So lot was the good one. Yeah, yeah, he gave his virgin daughter to a mob to rape to protect. He God. tried that, but they didn't want the daughter; they wanted the dudes. Yeah, and so, so then God decides to destroy the city and turns back. He says, "You're not allowed to turn back and look at what I'm doing." And his wife turns back, and he turns her into a pillar of salt. Yeah, which again, if you just stop there, I guess you can say, "Well, they there was probably some, some, uh, something outside the city that where there was a big burn mark that people said, oh, it looks like a pillar of salt.'" That and the story grows right. But right. what that that parable because it's included there not a, it's an object lesson it's a metaphor you're supposed to read it and use that to establish morals for your life that means when get, when somebody is being tortured to death and you know in your heart or you've been told it may be God that's inflicting this thing which is another weird line that get, creeps into many churches how dare you even show compassion for them so I'm thinking like all, every friend in the world who I've lived around my neighbors are screaming to death burning behind me and if I turn around and cry I get hmm again it's not that it's necessarily wrong it's that every red light and siren in your mind should be going off like wait what why would God do that wouldn't he want people that are compassionate yeah he would <laughs> if he yeah. if he invented us if he created us of course he would yeah and that's another thing like you said if uh if you're the all-knowing uh, creator of the universe, and you also you would say if all-knowing would include time, you would be able to you know you know there's no future events. So God knew people were going to be sinners. Let's look, go to Noah's Ark. He knew he was going to create a, a nation of sinners, and he knew he would have to drown them. So why not just start after the flood? And, and it, it, I mean, granted, we're talking about ridiculous stuff, but yeah. that's another thing. You talk, you ask somebody, how, how could a one boat have two of every species on the whole planet? Um, back then it might've made sense because they only had a certain amount of species in the area where that book was written. They didn't know about the Amazon and everything else. So, um, you ask them and they just, and it's weird watching people's, um, ir irrationality work in their brain. They just kind of, they're able to, yeah. um, uh, compartmentalize re this reality with the book's reality. And have you just... been to the Ark? You're, cl you're close, aren't you? To the Ark? There's a full-size Ark built in, I want to say Kentucky. I'm I'm in Southwest Florida, but I did see the pictures. Well, you're closer than me, but yeah, you're right. It's a long way. Still. I read I read some story that they they had they sued their insurance company for a payment because they they because it was a flood damage. Yeah, but my uh, I have family members, different ones than the first group, that went and visited it on a huge uh, continent wide tour of North America like three or four years ago, and I talked to one of them a lot, even though they're still really in the evangelical church and. I wasn't really you know, riffing on her, but I was saying this trip's right around the corner and you should prepare yourself as somebody that was an evangelical a long time. Don't let your faith be shaken unless you want it to. Like, don't walk in there and think you're walking into something different than it is. You're going to immediately go, uh, wait a sec, we don't believe in evolution. Even like they talk sometimes about microevolution, which is to say, well, maybe Noah only had to take 
one lion, one bear. And then after the bear got off the boat, God invented evolution just for a short amount of time and made <laughs> polar bears, grizzly bears, black bears. Even then, the math still does not work. There's So I was preparing her. And you had said earlier how fear of death uh, seems to, from our perspective, play. I think this is from therapy. We've both done enough to realize it. Even when you don't feel it, yeah, it, you'd be weird to not be afraid of death. It's coming and everybody's that's ever lived has died and you're going to die too. That you're going to walk in there and you're going to have your face shaken and it was the opposite. And I think that religion is a lot deeper than just the fear of death. And one of the biggest parts is being a human and having 40 years or 20 years or five years of your life built on a philosophy that you don't, most of us don't have the ability to start pulling the Jenga pieces out. And those of us that get there, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what your spiritual journey came from. I haven't heard that part of your story, but I'd be curious to hear what sort of, I'm going to use the word rock bottom moment, maybe <laughs> made you reconsider and, and start to, cause those, you mentioned uh, going on a missions trip when you were 12 or, uh, uh, was it an anti-abortion? Yeah, we did march. an anti-abortion march. Which, the thing about me in church, though, and I think it had to do with um, having uh, a parent that was an alcoholic, um, and just a kind of a little a slightly dysfunctional home—a home that was together. Our parents stayed together, but um, and it was my stepdad, but I, but only that I knew. So it was my dad, and um, but I, I didn't respect him because I didn't think he loved me. And um, and we have a relationship now. So, I, but it's just as a child, he had a lot of problems, a lot of issues, and um, and and so church to me was their thing, and I had to go, and I didn't ever want to go. I didn't like church; it was boring. I wanted to be playing with my friends, so I never had a strong connection with the church. And then when I was like 14, the church said that they, you know, that we were to get, you know, that secular music was evil. So my parents went through yeah. my record collection and threw away most of my my records. Did you go to the not... choir? Did you go to any of the conventions? Oh yeah, went to Bill, Billy Graham. Um, oh, there was like actually anti-music conventions. With oh, Audio Adrenaline and uh, Choir of the Fire was one of them, where we burned CDs at the end in this gross oh, no, Nazi-esque I... thing. <laughs> No, we didn't do that, but it's funny though because my dad um, had a record collection with you know a bunch of Pink Floyd and all this you know Led Zeppelin and everything from his childhood, and he came home from work and I think this is this is when I was too young to remember, but I'd hear the story because my dad never got over it. He came home from work and all of his records were burned because the women of the church had got together and decided their husband's music was evil and burned all the records. So my dad always held that grudge, but then he went and did the same thing to me with my mom, went through all the records, read through the lyrics, any lyric that they didn't like, if that word hate in it, it was just in the trash. Like I just talked about it in one of my recent episodes that Hootie and Blowfish was like the only record I got to keep and it was like my least favorite. Uh, but, um, yeah. Yeah, my like they, parents, they didn't... I had to explain Rape Me by Nirvana and had to like try to unpack what poetry is. to buy, And not that I defend that name, that song. I don't think Kurt Cobain would name a song Rape Me nowadays, but no. he clearly wasn't like, it was the same thing. It was this double standard. And I don't see the fury in you. This is what, I mean, kudos to you for whatever work you've done. But we've hit on like four things today that were, that, that shaped you in a way that's really hard to get away from. Because I'm assuming even if you didn't dig the church, you still, it, it's, fact you don't learn stuff from your parental figures and say okay well that's one of many options i'll check out a muslim when i bump into one and ask them what they believe there is there whoever those people are are wrong and even if i don't like the church because it's kind of boring jesus is the son of god and i better do what he says to avoid eternal damnation did you have you do you know if you believed that yeah i, I believed that and i and i remember 
Um, even when I started doing psychedelics, I started questioning the universe, but I still was trying to put it into the box of Christianity. Like, well, yeah. Jesus must be here. And I was always doing that. And then I went to uh, Asheville, North Carolina. My buddy was in college there. I remember going up there and I would have debates with these college kids that were just so much more educated than I was. And, and I would lose so bad these debates that I, I started going like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. And that's what I realized. I was like, I just, I need to know more. And it was almost like an excited awakening where I was like, my parents are wrong. And I'm like, so happy they're wrong. Cause I didn't, you know, I didn't have a great relationship with them at the time. So it was kind of like a power thing. And then I, and then I became the, the other problem that kids that age have is I think I'm so smarter than I am. Cause I figured one thing out and I start going and talking politics and religion to my family and, and, they're, and then they're starting to destroy me because I'm like, I, I like, I'm just an idiot and need to read more. And so so that's yeah. that start of my journey. But I definitely um, I was a, a Jesus loving. Or I shouldn't say Jesus loving. I wasn't much into prayer. I just wasn't much into the church, but a Jesus believer. And I thought I was a Republican. I supported the Iraq war. That was one of the things that happened to us. I, I was arguing the Iraq war. This college kid. She's like, why? Why should we be in war in Iraq? I was like, because of 9-11. Duh. And she's and then. And uh, yeah, I got destroyed in that one. I was like, and that's how I... powerful the church is. Cause those are those boogers that you, you just have heard it enough from people you trust that you don't, who has time to read everything that you hear. You can't, you have to construct your reality from a group of people you can trust. But this, this is where that bitterness that I was talking about comes from. And honestly, where my early problems with addiction came from. And uh, I, I mean, like I had to go further with Christ. Cause when I got in prison, there is no other drugs there. And I, I mean, that was it. I was like, blood bought born again the bible guy who'd hold bible studies and pray over people and get other people together through my whole prison sentence and it was after i got out it was the same i mean i was immediately addicted again i was like okay well maybe it is time to question some things but it wasn't until uh, i married my wife had a daughter who is multiracial and so as any good christian when our kids my son's only a year younger than her so they were i want to say like eight and nine really young you got to raise up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it when they are old as proverbs says so we offered to pay them to read not just any book but chapters of the bible so if they read a whole book of a secular nature or whatever we give them like 10 20 bucks whereas if they read a thick chapter of the bible 10 20 bucks it was a lot easier and it didn't take long whether my daughter was clever enough to just look up where these verses were or what but for her to come and ask why god invented slavery based on race in deuteronomy we were like he didn't as any good christian would say right. and she said you may keep slaves from the nations around you but not from your own nation and she said how would you know they were from the nation oh shit ah <laughs> got it and that was like the beginning of a long process and it was exactly what you talked about this oh oh and learning is a drug i mean it's just it i'm impressed that you had you didn't have like those jarring traumatic moments that i feel like still define my life that i struggle to get over because everything everything was this upbringing that led me down a terrible path because it wasn't working but i kept doing it so now i had to do heroin and vicodin every other drug i was doing and moving away from that whew, yeah. And so are you, you're saying that basically your, your children taught you, uh, kind of, they pushed you, the, yeah. I think they pushed us. Yeah. And it was, my wife, uh, was a little behind me, but I started doing what kind of what you're talking about. I got a book called, uh, misquoting Jesus, which is like a, uh, it's been around for 30 years now, but it goes through the history of updates and updates and updates and updates and how, 
for example, virgin is just a misquoting and the change of language that's happened and then the rewriting down from young woman to virgin. But now it, it's it's like you can't say Mary wasn't a virgin because some for some reason that's attached to many people's minds is like that's one of the sacred arguments. How dare you? All right. Those things we start talking about at the beginning that pile up real quick when you read it closely and you're like burning cities to the ground, uh, commanding the Israelites. At one point, he had them trick a neighboring tribe, a neighboring group into having peace only if they agreed to get circumcised, right? So everybody, the old men, the young kid have to get circumcised. And then the next day when all the men can't fight because their dicks are cut half off, they go in and they kill everybody, right? Again, under the command of the good Lord. They just pile up so quick that you're like, all oh, this just sounds like somebody that was like, I need to be in charge. I need to make sure that yeah. anything I tell these folks to do, they know that they better do it without question or else. And we've just slowly moved forward with that to where we're at now. We've cut out a lot of the good parts and King James got rid of those. And now you're uh, that same guest. So here's your kudos because it was a really good interview and she was fun to listen to. Had mentioned that like you can find anything in there. I mean, really, you yeah. can. You can see people defend anything, and that's before the Bible codes, which I don't know if you lived through that little chapter of, if you take every 1,100,842nd letter and then take one off every time and go all the way through the Bible over and over, you can spell out words like Hitler 1939, or, and that's evidence. Again, using the English translations of books that were written in Hebrew and Greek, it's it, yeah, it's makes this no is sense. a podcast about drugs, right? This is the drug nature that I think has a lot to do with why people enjoy it so much. It's not just that it gets rid of that pain of death, but it gets rid of anything. I mean, what what other drug can you take when you're tired, when you're too uppity, or uppity, when you're too caffeinated or whatever, when you're in pain, when you're enthralled, when you're driving, when you're whatever. It is always available on demand. You can take it in two seconds and nobody even knows. Yeah, religion is the so the opiate of the masses. I, I mean, I don't know. It's just such a bizarre thing that we that we believe. And like you said, we've created the story. The story and the story becomes more and more powerful the more you they have to have the virgin, right? Because that makes it an immaculate conception. That makes it it has to be God, the Father. And then you have the the cross is is just the imagery of the cross. And actually, yeah. I had a Jehovah's Witness on. They said they don't have the cross as their image, and he he was an ex Jehovah's Witness. I should say because that's a whole another um, crazy cult kind of version of the religion but but they they actually had him oh yeah you know well the the difference was is that when he left the church his parents wouldn't talk to him and they excommunicated sounds familiar doesn't it well my parents never did that like didn't they it's a different form well no no um as far as religion when i told him i didn't believe it there was no backlash as far as that other than they'll still try to talk to me about it be like well i know politics right so i i'm I'm, you're right i'm fishing around here i use this term self-discipline silence where in my evangelical church i was taught if you say these things you can talk about anything we love to talk but the second you ask the obvious question you're shut down in a way that is pushed aside and you learn pretty soon to just shut the hell up about that stuff. Stay on the safe ground or people aren't going to want to talk to you at all. So I, hopefully you saved a lot of years, but I, it's hard to believe you haven't lost a few relationships from just saying what probably felt like it needed to be said. Honestly, I've, I've had a lot of arguments with them, but never once has, have they led to us not talking. It's just, it's cool. and, they're, and they're willing to have the fights. If I want to bring up politics or religion, they're going to, 
to have that fight with me. But it, and the mm-hmm. thing is, it, there's no winning is what I realized. It doesn't matter what information I bring to the table. They're not going to buy it. If it's a, if it's a Trump thing or what Trump said this, they're going to say, you're watching the wrong news. I'm like, I listened to a recording of him on the phone with the mm-hmm. board of elections guy. And they're like, you're watching the wrong news. So I realized there's no reality in which I'm going to change their mind. And so therefore it's better to just not bring it up at all. Yeah. What do you make of that? That because this is something else I haven't quite heard you talk about directly, but I think we can do this in a safe way. I also, again, think that maybe Trump is, I, I haven't seen evidence that the creator of the universe did not call this man to be the all-powerful permanent president. I I really <laughs> doubt it, but I haven't seen any confirming evidence. So that's what a lot of people believe. This is God's anointed president. What do you make of that, given what I said earlier about if this is a simulation, he isn't somebody nobody had ever heard from about. My mom had heard about him and she like has been kind of outside of, she doesn't watch TV, isn't big on movies, doesn't watch the news and never has. And she knew very well who Trump was. He's a rich billionaire, he's divorced many wives, cheats on people, throws money at problems, all the stuff that he'd be like, yeah, I do, right? Like that's his image. He's the man. He fires celebrities from jobs they don't even need. <laughs> they knew who he was. What do you make of that? That being their guy it is a very strange thing because i watched it happen but what i think it is is that people that are susceptible to being very religious have have a part of their brain that is they called it um uh, what are they called mental uh something anyway the the idea is that once you start believing stuff because you want it to be true you open up your mind to believe other things so once you've created a brain that's easily susceptible to bullshit and that's what the evangelical people are primed for then this guy came along and i watched it happen when he came along when he's in the primaries they said we don't like him he's not christian like he's not you know he did he wasn't the republican that they liked but once he became the guy they all started switching and they opened up their brain to, to accept him and once they did he went into that same brain space that the religion was at and now you see jesus is my savior trump is my president um i mean so it's like they've put him right there beside jesus and he's i don't think they did i think somebody did that for him like uh, in a marketing way? I think that the right people, I mean, I think he did it. I think the one thing Trump is, well, maybe more than one, but one place I have to give him his dues is he knows how to surround himself with the right people. Whether that is find some yahoos to tell you, oh, just say the election was stolen. It's And it was, believe us, right? Because that's why he's not gonna go to jail, I don't think. If he doesn't, it's because he can always, and he's always had this this luxury, privilege, to say, I'm just following the advice of people I was paying to tell me what to do. I'm not an attorney. I'm not a political degree holder. I don't know what election results look like. I just know these people who I trust, you can arrest them if you want. Oh, I don't got nothing to do with them now. Yeah. They told me, and I think the same thing happened on the front side. I think he knew how to say some very key statements that not only i've heard you mention that it was really weird from our perspective we thought this was a deal breaker when he said stand back and stand by and uh will you do it renounce and denounce white supremacy and he was like uh i just know there's like talked about a the dog up the street or something yeah, it's like it was weird dude, it was a layup it wasn't a layup he was really good at keeping a big group of people who by themselves would never have a majority vote because often all of them hold one or two really radical views that the rest would be like, nope, keeping them all on the same team, which is why all those people that went in the Capitol were nothing to the people that I know that were outside and are still proud they were outside or the people that have told me, man, we wished we would have gone and to this day, we wish we would have gone. We weren't going to go in and, and break stuff up, but we were there 
I think that's what he did. He brought a group of people on board. And then once you've gotten in bed with somebody and based your reality on X, Y, or Z and had those arguments we're talking about, it's really hard when we're talking about things like racism or sexism or religious discrimination against other groups while claiming victimization at the same time. To, if you've defended those things and said, you're watching the wrong news, it's really hard to go back on that. And as much as I, I always hate like giving people credit and or leeway when it feels like they're really doing some nasty stuff, I'm, I guess I can still go back in my heart to when I would have said all those same things. And that's the, in my mind, that's the, the heartbreaking part of this is that I've been on both sides and I know that they haven't been on both sides, but they, I'm interested in their perspective if they're willing to offer it, but they are not in any way, shape or form interested in mine because who can argue with the creator of the universe? Not me. Right. Yeah. And that's, that kind of goes I, on my abortion special. I talked about how, when I was young, I remember holding the abortion sign and I didn't know what abortion was so I, when we were going out to March. So I asked and they said, well, it's baby murder. If you're, if you, you know, women are allowed to murder their babies, if they're below a certain age. And so I didn't have any understanding of what abortion Enough was. Said. So I'm, but I'm holding the sign and people would drive by and flip us off. And the rage I felt towards them, because like, how could they be mad that we're trying to stop babies from being murdered? That rage is the same rage anti-abortion people feel today, but they have a more understanding of abortion and still hold the rage, but they do believe it is, it is babies being murdered. And that's why they have the rage. And that's why I am willing to at least understand them, but yeah. they, they have to be able to understand us. But I, I, it's, it's a, a hard thing to, once people are believing this, once people believe Trump is the whether I mean, I've talked to people that literally think he is was sent by Jesus, and they'll say it like like you realize this, right? Like it's a like it's a fact that I'm not seeing. Like you do realize that he was sent by Jesus, our Lord, to to run to fix this nation and heal the nation. Right. And it's like wow, like that that's but that's so the sad. answer. So when you and I have been be going. I just almost said something mean and then breathe deep for the crowd I'm performing. And then we say what we were about to say to that family member, but we have toned it down and calmed down because somebody asked to, and we say something like this, that's an incredible claim. I'm very interested. How do you know that? Can you share the evidence that tens of thousands of dead people in Georgia voted or all the other bizarro things that were the pillow guy was saying, right? Accusations, evidence. You and I were like, that is so such an incredible claim i hardly even want to give you the time of day but you know what maybe you've seen something that convinced you what did you see and over and over the conversation would go to like what happened with trump when he was asked about white supremacy they'd be talking about something different and we would like say before we move on because now you're saying something else i want to know about that's really interesting how do how do you know all these these dead people voted and the reason that there was no answer for that, it's like when somebody's hypnotized in a public venue and they tell them to forget the number eight and then they're counting and they just like get these weird looks on their face because there's no number eight. There is, once you're under, the, I call it the tent of religion, you said it in a very similar poetic way that you build these frameworks in part, only a small portion of things in your brain to say evidence doesn't matter on these three or four things. Born of a virgin, I know damn well people that are virgins don't have babies, and yet, once it happened, so I, at least once, I don't need to have it proven to me and no one will disprove it. This is not an evidentiary statement. Ooh, the tent's this big. I think that tent has expanded and what Trump managed to do is ride the heels of 20 years of what you and I lived through, this prosperity gospel, this name it, claim it, the, poly, uh, 
mega preacher after mega preacher getting downfalling and scandals that are like they were they had earpieces in and they were hustling people to make them think that they were faith healing them or they were spending all sorts of money inappropriately on uh, cocaine and sex workers and then railing against cocaine and sex workers we saw over and over it happened and yet if you point to those people evidence that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about a different area of the brain that is quite similar to what happens to us when we're deep in an addiction and the logic is gone right the substance that once worked so well to relieve whatever the whatever has gone through the roof and the substance stopped working altogether and yet we keep going back what's up with that it's not evidence it's a part of being a human that if we don't watch close we find things that make us feel better about life or about death and we don't really pay attention as we evolve or change grow in our our changes mean we've got to find something different we've got to reevaluate definitely and um it's, it's hard for people to reevaluate themselves when they don't see themselves as having any problems. And I think that's one thing that helped me out. And honestly, through my drug use, I realized that I'm able to look in the mirror and, and ask, you know, are, are you thinking about this right? Are you, you know, and sometimes it's like, no, I'm not. I need, I need to reevaluate myself. I need to you know, take a look at myself. And I remember, you know, have you read 1984, uh, George Orwell? Yeah. And I remember, I think he called it, I want to say it was double think, where people yeah. could hold two contradictory ideas at the same time. And when I read the book, I was young, and I, I remember thinking, well, this is kind of foolish. Like, I, it's a great book. I'm liking it, but there's no way that that could be – people could Me do too. that. Me too. And, <laughs> and it's like, well, the thing I, I didn't realize is like, well, George Orwell lived through some shit and seen some shit politically that I hadn't seen. And now that I have seen it, I'm like, oh, wow, that's really extremely possible to a scary degree. And one of Trump's tweets really summed it up to me was when he tweeted – uh that the Department of Homeland Security had just said this has been the most secure election ever. And he said, that's thanks to me. And then he said, also, election was rigged. In the same tweet. So you just contradicted yourself in your own tweet, and people, nobody saw it. Nobody looked at it and go, and then when you ask somebody, they go, well, that's because it was secure as far as one thing, but but the rigged part, it's like, it's not, it's one or the other. It's not. Except it's just, he can't, I mean, if you are arguing with the creator of the universe, then you're wasting your time so if one part of this argument has slipped under the tent and it's he said he won and i know he won because god called him to be president forever then what who are you and i to show up and say but he can't have two competing ideas in the same yes he, those aren't competing ideas eight there is no number eight i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> and i think that's ex I, the history of alcohol i came across an article in the atlantic this is a tangent but it's really connected we actually lived in these small hunter-gatherer tribes or even as like small-knit families for the longest in human history, 10,000 BC, right? And in those situations, we didn't know anything. So it kind of makes sense that religion or something like it started to develop. The mountaintop just blew off and fire is, is streaming towards us. Uh, uh, it was nice yesterday and now it's raining rocks of, of ice on me and the crops destroyed. Terrible things would happen. A tidal wave would come. Your person who was healthy yesterday gets really sick and you have no idea why because we don't know any of that stuff. So, of course, we figured out ways to explain it. But we, because of that, that world, we had very many reasons to avoid outsiders for all sorts of mm -hmm. uh, reasons. They might be coming to rob us. They could pose a threat biologically. We didn't have a lot of reasons to get together in big groups, which is why Stonehenge and other settings like that that still exist remnants of them are such a puzzle because we're like 
what the hell were people doing? And now we're starting to realize it turns out it was probably alcohol that we were coming together. And at times of scarcity, all mammals can process a small amount of alcohol, but humans are like 10 times as much as if not more that we can metabolize without becoming poisoned and dying, which means we can get a lot drunker. But it also means that we could walk around the woods when other animals were dying and eat rotten stuff off the ground and just barely survive, which means people that had that genetic mutation at the time were prone to survive when those that couldn't eat the rotten food died. So mm -hmm. we fast forward the clock, these little hunters that gathers exist, and we're now finding sites that are, they're huge sites, but they're nothing but vats that look like they were used for brewing. And people would come from miles around and just get snookered for a couple days. And once they were snookered, it looks like they would then take upon themselves projects to build things like Stonehenge or to build buildings around the brewing pit. And then other people would come along a month later, a year later when no one was around and see these huge structures like Stonehenge. And what did those people do? They said religion. Ah, we got, there must be some God building these things. Both of these things, alcohol, drugs, and religion were built on bringing groups together originally. And so long as we stuck with that, See, things seemed to go pretty good. We could use alcohol safely. People weren't brewing it to 150 proof and staying home and just pounding it down. Now we're at the end of COVID and people have been drinking heavier. They're not using it socially. They've been in their houses and we've watched our alcoholism rates go up. But you know what else has happened? Religious folks, and I imagine even before COVID, you started to notice this too. They started forsaking the assemblings of themselves together as the manner of some is. This is a verse from Luke, I believe one of the gospels it might have been paul actually it probably was acts but there's this command to do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together religion is a drug and when people start to use it in fractured congregations or in groups by themselves they don't get those checks and balances and i think that's a big part of once trump started to seep into just a few people sort of took up root and we had this this scary world where everybody's in their own little group of five worshiping by themselves because those other bad believers don't believe what I believe. I think we've just watched substance abuse get out of control once again. Yeah. Sorry, we, there was a lot packed in that. Yeah, there was one because I wanted to go back to the alcohol thing. Um, uh, Michael Pollan's book, um, his newest book, uh, what it was called, but he covers a few different drugs and one of them was caffeine. And it was really fascinating about alcohol. He said, Back, you know, when um, before the uh, before enlightenment, all the workers were just drinking alcohol all day, children, everybody, because yeah. the water would could kill you. So alcohol yeah. was killing the bacteria. So they might not understood exactly why, but the alcohol was safe to drink. Water wasn't. And they didn't know they could just boil the water. So or they didn't care. <laughs> well, well the, re the reason I say they didn't know they could boil the water is because they eventually when caffeine started coming from other places, coffee and tea, mm -hmm. they realized they could drink that instead of of alcohol because it was being boiled and killing the bacteria so all of a sudden the society switches from everybody's hammered to now people are caffeinated and all of a sudden they said basically this change in drug culture basically shifted created the age of enlightenment it's like all of a sudden people were in coffee shops talking about philosophy versus just being drunk and having bar fights or whatever that makes a lot of sense and the same thing with caffeine the infamous 1916 case that's like the U.S. government versus 40 kegs and 20 barrels of Coca-Cola was a lawsuit that went all the way to the Supreme Court to force Coca-Cola to take this new drug that they'd used to replace cocaine in their soda called caffeine. You can't do that, Coca-Cola. You have to stop putting this evil drug in there. And luckily, Coca-Cola had enough money to say enough with banning the chemicals. We're going to the Supreme Court. And 
they almost lost. And the only reason they didn't lose is they made a deal with the government because it got kicked back to a lower court and the government was exhausted and Coca-Cola was out of money. So they were like, look, we'll cap the caffeine at some relatively reasonable amount, which now we don't do. Red Bull's got 7 trillion grams or whatever, milligrams or whatever, but that it doesn't have 7 trillion milligrams. Let's stick to facts. It's got a lot of caffeine in it though. Right. Um, anyway, I, it makes me wonder moving forward, there's other authors that have made this point, Richard de Grandpre talks about it in Cult of Pharmacology, we'd probably have a really bad caffeine issue right now because that drug plays well with our cultural pro productivity demands that we're supposed to be getting out of bed and moving and doing and creating and producing and punching a clock. And caffeine has leaned into that. I think we would probably have a lot of overdoses if people were taking black market supplies, but we still use the natural form. And when we use natural forms of drugs in social settings, as opposed to the artificial inflated potency forms in private settings, they tend to be good for society. Whereas when we're forced to take these things out of the public to hide our use and to use the strongest doses of whatever we're using possible, because we have to hide it, stash it in a trunk or in an airplane, we get in trouble for those very reasons. We're humans, we're social creatures. So to connect this a little bit with where we started with the religious rant, I think we have seen something similar that allowed some ideas to sneak into a lot of these churches that they probably would have been much more on guard in the 80s when you couldn't let your church fracture and go online or take a month off and just do whatever you wanted. Yeah, yeah. I, um, about the caffeine, I, I wonder, because um, I've never had a problem that I've noticed if I quit drinking caffeine where I've had went through any kind of withdrawal from it. But Michael Pollan talked about how he, for research for his book, he quit drinking coffee and actually felt miserable for the whole, I want to say it was like three months he quit. He never felt right not having it. And, I, and everybody's different, right? So like I, I, I have horrible withdrawals from opiates. Not, I shouldn't say horrible, but I have the, I have withdrawals from opiates and I do not, I, I can't stand them. Even we're going to get in the Kratom here in a minute. Cause I, I, but I can't stand opiate withdrawals, alcohol. I've been, I've, I, I should say I've, I've abused when I was young, went on benders, everything. And now I drink it regularly, but I can quit anytime I want. And I, I take days off and I, I have zero effects from alcohol withdrawal. I have right. a friend that almost died because he quit drinking. Like he went to seizures. So everybody's different. And what so do you drink? What did he drink? Vodka. No, what do you, what do you oh, drink? I just switched. Um, I, I, I watched a stupid video on Facebook about gluten and um, lectin. And so I switched to seltzers. Uh, recently but what were you drinking before beer yeah Coors Light and, that, um, that's the that's kind of what I'm talking about the the natural form of it humans have been co-evolving with beer and wine for I don't know like 11,000 years at least whereas when you're talking about distilled spirits I don't know what we're on 200 years maybe now that maybe longer than that that we've been distilling them it's it's the same thing that we have happen over and over with fentanyl with whatever we're talking about i imagine it would have been with caffeine too who knows what poland was drinking i wonder if he was like I think he was triple drinking, espresso <laughs> no he he was i think he said it was just like a cup of coffee in the morning and then a tea in the afternoon it wasn't anything crazy and um he, he went back to drinking coffee but he said now he doesn't do it every day but i remember when i first started doing kratom somebody said the withdrawals are very similar it's just like caffeine and then when i went through kratom withdrawal i was like well that was some bullshit but then i read michael pollan <laughs> And I'm like, well, Michael Pollan is what he's talking about his caffeine, which all sounds like kratom to me. I just, I just haven't had it with caffeine, so maybe it is more similar. It's just I, am, 
and maybe because I've had ser- serious Viking withdrawal that my body immediately recognizes withdrawal from opiates to the point where, cause Kratom withdrawal, I, I never got sick. I never really no physical problems. I just felt miserable inside. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. and I, and, and I, so I, but every time I'm easily, it's easy for me to quit because it's legal and I can regulate my dose and I can walk my dose down. So it's very easy yeah. to get off if I want to get off. But I just, sometimes I'm like, I don't want to get off. I enjoy it. But then sometimes I'm like, you know what? It's making me irritable. Um, yeah. It doesn't work as well. And it's yeah. also a natural, I mean, it sort of is, is if you hate that religious stuff that you fast forwarded through at the beginning, this can hinge the conversation that it's the natural form of the drug, which means that once again, as long as that plant has been on the planet with something like us, we've probably had people chewing on it and we've developed a, it's like COVID right now, right? It's not only evolving to like be less, we've got these vaccines, so it's evading those, but it's also evolving to be less deadly because viruses that kill everybody or that kill more people don't survive as well as viruses that you don't even know you have. Nobody knew they had it. We wouldn't care. We'd be back to normal and we'd all take it on purpose, right? That's, kind of the human story when we've got these substances or in the case of viruses, viruses that have been around a long time, oftentimes we do a lot better with them. But I, I, the Vicodin, I'm like, it's more and more, it's distilled one little piece of it and then turned up to a thousand. Whereas if you wanted to take that much hydrocodone out of the raw opium set, you'd be unconscious from morphine and codeine and the small amount of what would be like diamorphine type chemical like heroin that's in just the tar before that amount of Vicodin ever got in your bloodstream. So it's this weird thing that your body goes, yeah, this is fire. And that's great. But you run a car on nothing but nitrous oxide all the time. Of course, the bolts blow out of the top of the head. Yeah. And I wonder if, do you think, because I haven't done opium and since I was in high school, you know, just raw opium. And and even then, I don't know if it was what what I actually did back then. But um, I wonder if I had, because Michael Pollan also talked about uh, brewing pot because I, poppies was one of his drugs and uh, he, he grew them in his garden found out how illegal that was but just you know whatever and he dried them out and made a tea and it said it was a very relaxing and mild and it actually sounded more like kratom to me i was like i think maybe in its raw form it's not gonna be much different than kratom i, I don't think so either i've had a lot of that tea it's it's just about the same i've seen a lot of the same fear mongering you're talking about that goes both ways you people that like ah there's no withdrawal at all and then you have people that are like kratom's worse than heroin and fentanyl combined you'll you'll want to like die it's like eh, it's not quite that either it's usually somewhere in the middle and i've read blogs from people or posts that are like poppy seed tea is is dangerous and you can overdose and die from it from small amounts and i'm like always be careful with your drugs and indeed it is an opioid so no matter what when you're taking those things yeah don't just go pounding down untold amounts but know your own body and you're talking about the form that's basically had all the tar removed then dried out in the sun. And like, there's just a little bit of gooey still on the seed that you're dissolving off. It's a whole different process. You'd need about 7 trillion pounds to get one of those Vicodin we were talking about. I'm yeah. using the number 7 trillion a lot today. <laughs> I wonder if I'm going to have to call my evangelical people and see what that means. <laughs> Your astrologer. Um, the, uh, um, what was I going to say? Oh, the, Oh shit! Let's lost, lost what you thought about the kratom and um, oh, I was just gonna say that I, I, you know, I was on Facebook or not Facebook. I was on Twitter and I was talking about the kratom ban that the FDA was trying. I was trying to get people to sign this petition, and I called. I said kratom's a non-morphine derivative opioid that's saved a lot of lives. And some I can't remember who it was. It was some kratom alliance or something messaged me and was like, "Please stop calling it an opioid. It's not an opioid." I'm like, "Well, it is." 
because it reacts on our opioid. But also I said, I understand what you're saying though, because of the negative connotation. So I will stop using that word because I see what you're saying. It's called, maybe I might be causing harm, but also it's like, yeah. but it is an opioid. Is it not? Yeah. I, well, no. Well, yeah, hmm, yes. But I'm not, luckily I'm not a medical doctor, so nobody gets to listen to me for medical advice anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it does. It does the same thing that any number it actually, uh, Morgan Godwin talked about this, and I still haven't seen any studies yet that that really test serotonin levels in a way that you could tell long term. But she had the same impression that it actually is tinkering with more than just dopamine, which that's not unusual for any opioid. It's we always simplify stuff, and we're like, you take it, and your dopamine levels go up. And that's usually hardly at all what's going on. They're often part of it right but it connects to a bigger process and then those processes set off other processes that you keep going yourself but i think that long-term drag that you mentioned that wasn't so much the physical it was a little physical i was exhausted a lot and i sweat a lot but it was just emotional mental and it was the polar reflection of that feeling you sometimes have when you're at a, a perfectly medicated dose which on kratom this again, everybody has their own experience, but I, you couldn't get high enough on that drug to be out of control. You puke. It's like yeah. a funk. It's completely functional. And yet you still do find yourself at times blissfully content, never high. And that's something that a lot of non-addictive people don't even know what the hell I'm talking about, because a lot of people just get to be content all the time. But for addicted people or people that have struggled with different emotional or mental struggles, contentment is like that we're not trying to always be like so high that we're just nodding out. And of course, sometimes we get to that bad place, but most of us are trying to maintain life. We're trying mm -hmm. to do the stuff y'all are doing and go find the same joy. I heard you mention last week at times looking at the ocean when you were detoxing. And for me, it was other things that I love, four wheelers, um, smoking weed, right? I still smoke weed all the time. And it was the same thing like, hmm, hmm. Not, the, the beauty is sort of sapped from it yeah not because of the drug but because of what's going on up here that those that that thing i was giving myself to just sort of balance things the way i like is now gone and i got to give myself time to balance back yeah and, and when i've always i've always done drugs for the most part like you said there's times when i've been in a bad place you know mad to live and just hate my life and want to get as just drunk and as stupid as possible. But most of the time it was like, I'm taking Viking because it makes me feel good. makes me want to get to work. It makes me excited about my work. It makes me want to do things. And then I, you know, I got an Adderall for that. I got a prescription for it. Cause I, I mean, I definitely have an ADD thing, but the, I found that Adderall didn't work for me it, overall a long period of time. It made me feel very weird and confused inside. And I just didn't like it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I didn't want to, it wasn't about getting high and, but they, but that's what they, they look, they view somebody like me if, as I'm, I'm a, drug seeker that wants to get i don't know it's just ridiculous but um kratom kratom's a weird one because um i mean because it definitely makes me feel good motivated it's almost like the positive side of vicodin that that it that good energy i got from it that's what it gives me but without any yeah. of the negative I shouldn't say any of the negative because sometimes i get the irritability and stuff but i remember I, I went with one of my friends who had never done kratom i was i went through a spell of just gave up alcohol for a while and my buddy was like, want to go to the bar? I was like, no, I'm going to go to the Kratom bar. And he's like, what's that? I was like, oh, if you want to come, you know. So he tried a Kratom drink. And when we left, we were walking to the other bar that he wanted to go to. And uh, and we were walking. He's like, I feel, he's like, I feel really good right now. Like, what? I just feel great. And I was like, he's yeah. like, what is, I was like, it's the Kratom. I was like, you just, that's yeah. the Kratom. It's like, you just feel just good. And um, yeah. your guest last week was talking about coca leaves the same way. And both yeah. of them are making me think set and setting, right? Like she was saying, 
that when you chew coca leaves, you don't feel anything. You just feel good. And I was thinking to myself, whoever told her that before she used them <laughs> and convinced her that was it, set her on her journey. Because you can take, this is a Bruce Alexander experiment, you can take two rats that are the same size, weight, born the same day, even brother and, brother and brother, sister, sister, and give one of them self-administered doses of cocaine and let it decide how much it wants to take. And once it establishes a pattern, and it's doing it on purpose. It knows when I push this button, I get X amount of cocaine and I want this much. If you just give the same amount to the other rat without it letting it push the button, it overdoses and dies every time. Our experience with the drug has much to do with what we expect to happen wow. with the drug. So some people love certain drugs and some people are like, oh, that was the worst experience ever. But I'm pretty sure you can chew a big old wad of coca leaf and you'll you'll definitely feel something i don't know I've, I've i've only talked to a few people that have done it and i've read plenty of of descriptions about it but every one of them is like oh it's it's some good coffee yeah and i i really wish i could try it um and i just because when she said it just makes you feel good i'm like well what do you think that good feeling is i mean i think that's the the she drug sounds like, balanced right <laughs> but also i think that if you're not doing the highly extracted the cocaine that's going to be a lot stronger you're going to get some of the same feelings, but it's going to be a more natural feeling. Again, I don't know. I've never done it. I would love to try it. I'd love to try the poppy tea. I live in Florida. Can't grow what poppies down here. Um, I think you might be disappointed. Not disappointed is the wrong word because they're both good drugs. So regardless, we'd be happy. But I, it's like a beetle nut. I have thought like, eh, I'd like to try beetle nut. And I ordered some and it was during the backup. So it showed up rotten and I almost was like, eh, it's not worth it. And it's a nicotine receptor drug. And in my mind, I'm like, I understand every drug's different, but I have had my due. I smoked non-filters my whole prison sentence of cigarettes. And I was just never a big fan of nicotinic receptor drugs anyway. So, I mean, I, I, they'll get you through the day, but there's not a very good buzz. And I've, I've done everything I can do with that switch in there, that dimmer switch. But I don't know, who knows, maybe I'm wrong. But I feel like with opium... It was the same thing as Vicodin and codeine and even tramadol to some measure. And even fentanyl and heroin, they all have their own personality, to be fair. But they're, if you know one of them, you you know what you're in for for all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, definitely, if I've had, I noticed the difference, though. Also, I, I have a low tolerance to opioids because when I've done like um, Opana, which was hydromorphone. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I've done Which is that. what your body breaks down all, almost all your morphine into anyway. Oh, really? Well, so I, so I, I don't know. Part it, of it. it was, um, I was very sick when I did it. Um, and I didn't do, I didn't <laughs> yeah, do you did it out much. of the blue? Yeah, like well, my, just... well, my buddy told me he's cut me out a very, pretty small line of it. Um, and, I, and I got very sick. Same thing when I did, when I tried fentanyl and I did fentanyl, I did an even smaller amount. A very very small amount and i got really sick but i just wasn't my body wasn't prepared for that my, yeah. um but um i feel like i'm almost lucky the only drug that i've done the uh, heroin was the only one that i've done that i my body took very well and i really enjoyed it it's a good drug yeah it is if i was <laughs> if i had one to choose i think that's the irony right we're right now in the spot where we're four or five years seven or eight in some circles that i've run with past the point where people started to say actually if you got fentanyl i'll take that and they would say, are you sure you don't want heroin? And they'd be like, actually, the fentanyl is good. And now we're moving into stage two of this, which is people that were buying trank dope. Think that It's like fentanyl, sometimes a little bit of heroin. And then over-the-counter xylazine is a big one because some clever addicted person read an article that said when you give a, uh, a cow a shot of morphine or uh, fentanyl or carfentanyl because they use the stronger fentanyls for livestock – 
it lasts for 14 minutes. But if you give it a shot of xylazine at the same time as the fentanyl, the fentanyl lasts for 28 minutes. And some addicted people went, aha, you can buy this drug on the internet without a prescription. They'll ship it to your house. I can cut it into this dope and I can like sell more of it for the same price. Not, that is not the game anymore. Now we've moved to where if you go to the dope house and say, I got trank dope and I got straight fentanyl, a lot of addicted folks would say, I want the trank dope. And that's what we've now got to figure out. How do you backtrack? I don't think we would have gone down any of those roads if heroin was something you could get from Dr. Marks, like you had in England or from a, a clinic where you go and you sit down, just have a 10 minute counseling session once a week and you get your prescription and you get out of there. Heroin is a a pretty workable drug and it's actually really hard to overdose on it once you have a tolerance it's not natural because you do still have to extract it but when you're comparing it to like fentanyl it's leaps and bounds better and we have a long history of people using it for decades and then when they decide to quit they decide to quit yeah and that's what's happening in switzerland now that they're having a lot of people that get on a regular regulated dose get their lives back together and then decide they don't want the heroin and part of their life anymore and they quit and over here the methadone clinics are having the opposite results i mean as far as numbers but um if you look at to when harry anslinger first uh, you know decided to criminalize and, and stop doctors from being able to prescribe addicts heroin before that all the addicts were going to their doctor for their heroin and none and they all were fathers and mothers and supported families they were part of the community they, they you would not have even known you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the addict and the the person who was, you know, the Christian going sober person, they were the yeah. very similar lives. Then they criminalized. And then all of a sudden, now we see the addict on it shows like intervention, these horrible shows that show what an addict looks like. That's an addict yeah. under prohibition. And it was timing is everything because the late 1800s, there were still civil war vets around. And when you think to yourself, addicted person, uh, words like junkie, which I try to reappropriate a lot because it's been applied to me a lot. You have an image that pops into your head, whether you want to admit it or not. It's worth your time to to look closely at that image because sometimes you can learn some stuff about yourself you could work on. We've always had an image of that. And if somebody would have said heroin user in 1890, the image most people would have had is grandpa with his arm uh, missing because he was in the Civil War. Or my friend up the road who takes cocaine and morphine every day because his face got blown half off in this this cannonball fight during Gettysburg or whatever. Those were the people, by and large, that were using these substances and then reestablishing their life. And if Harry Anslinger would have showed up 20 years earlier and said, we've got to fight against this scourge called heroin or cannabis, people would have been like, get the hell out of town. I know people that use it every day. But around the 1900s, we saw not just those Civil War vets start to die, which made those stereotypes available, but we saw the gold rush in California and the subsequent silver rush in Reno, which is why the, the Asian immigrants came over to work in those and they brought the process that we had actually given them of smoking opium with them. That's why opium dens were first outlawed in the West. And in the South, we saw Mexican immigrants coming in to work some of the fields and they brought the practice of smoking cannabis, which as you know, Harry Anslinger said, let's call it marijuana. Yeah, that sounds really scary. And suddenly, yeah, those, those stereotypes were up for debate, and he just struck when the iron was hot, and it happened to coincide with pharma saying, wait, so if these drugs are bad, that means we might be able to make the same drugs and charge a lot more, and then you and I got to take Vicodin instead of opium as kids, or we got to yeah. experiment with fentanyl, which probably wouldn't even exist.
Yeah. Well, it still uh, would, but it, it would exist for heart surgeries and yeah. that would be about it. Um, it for capitalism. And, yeah. To get people out of the hospital faster. Yep. Yep. I, um, yeah. So we've created a world where um, addiction is w- where it's at. And the question is, is can we, can we get to a place that looks back? Can we go backwards? Can we go back? Can we reverse the war on drugs? And, and it's, it's going to be a hard road. I, you know, we're, we're seeing it with cannabis and that cannabis is an easy sell. Um, yeah. And it's still not so, I mean, still a lot of states aren't doing it. We still have people locked up for it. This Brittany Griner thing, I was hoping it would shine some light on our own drug policies. But every time I see the story in the news, they refuse to talk about, we're not looking in the mirror. We're saying these Russian people, now granted, she wouldn't have got nine years in prison here for that. But um, but there are people serving those kind of sentences here in prison. Yeah. The flip and, side of this is rich too, because the people that say, well, yeah, but we shouldn't trade uh, arms dealer. I, I, there's some irony from that. I don't think we should trade them. I'm not saying, I'm not weighing in personally. I'm just saying there's some irony to a country like the United States saying, oh, the last thing we'd want to do is like let somebody who's selling guns to the wrong people in exchange <laughs> for this drug user who's also being, a, but that's the pretzel we're in. So yeah, when we think moving forward, I'm, I don't know. We're right back to where we started today, which is like, well, how do we, if this is the the proverbial rock bottom culturally, there should be a pathway up. We should be able to look up right now and see a very clear, and I don't see that. I see a V. I see a, a, a splitting, a fracturing that maybe gets further because those of us that were trying to wade into these debates and those of us like you and I that are honestly more equipped than most people, we have personal life experience in both camps and our hearts have been in both camps. We weren't just like, eh, I guess I'm in church. No, we both fully embraced it and believed it and fought for it and spoke about it we can't return people and, and even get them to hear our voice and we've had to be like i guess the world right now is no talking at thanksgiving dinner except about the yankees yeah i think the the thing that changed with covid thing really changed was that people's lives were personally affected by politics in a way that never had happened so now when you have that political discussion it's not like ah we agree to disagree you're on that side i'm on this side whatever now yeah. it's like no if your guy was in charge i'd be out of a job and i'd lose my house and like then they start getting mad and they're like and then they give all this money inflation i can't afford this so it's like now people are so affected by what happened and it wasn't the thing is they, they look at it as politi- political but it was an epidemic that we didn't understand a pandemic that we did not understand we didn't understand what the illness was was and then they look at it they go well it was overblown it was you know i was only killing you know you've heard it all this, yeah. this stuff but it's, it's so people they, it became so political that people were so, that now you, you talk politics it, it it strikes a chord that was never struck before you know yeah and i don't know how we get back together if it's a, a third party candidate or I, mean, I here's the real terrible thing that you and i i'm sure you've thought about this too those tricks worked way too well and already the liberals are starting to employ some of the same stuff and using the rhetoric of businesses, the rules are out the window. Look, the Republicans aren't going to play by them. So we got to do the same stuff. And so what happens in five years when a Republican comes along and starts crying election fraud before the elections even taken place and you and I are now suddenly like in the middle going, what the hell is going on And the people around us say, no, he's right. Or they're right. That person did have the election stolen. You and I are like, is there evidence? It doesn't matter. Remember Trump? Oh, here we go. Yeah. There, there's got to be something that moves us forward. And the terrible thing is historically, it's assassinations or, or terrible events. It's 9-11 or it's Martin Luther King Jr. and John F. Kennedy dying. And we all collectively 
go, oh, or it's the civil war where thousands, hundreds, tens of thousands of people are killed for this thing that we're like, we still haven't really figured it out 150 years later. That's the terrifying thing is when rock mm. bottom does show up in this country, it seldom is a time when anybody comes together. We're a country built on, fuck you, I'm blaming somebody for this and I'm going to come get you. Yep. We're doomsdayers and, and issue deniers and drug it's users. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's, it's I, I honestly I'm I have I have anxiety about the future of this country with um yeah. you know, the next election this this election this year and then the 2024 is exceptionally um I'm unoptimistic, unoptimistic about it but um you know and also what you said about the election being stolen uh, that Trump did come out and say before the election he came out and said that, that that he wouldn't there's no way he could lose if it wasn't rigged and when he said that I was like well so he just told us what his plan was he told us that he also I believe. He bought StopTheSteal.com before Hillary election with Hillary, so he already owned that. He was prepared to say that with Hillary, and he was surprised that he won. And also, and I brought this up to Republicans. I say, let me ask you this: the Republicans had the executive office, they had the House and the Senate and the Supreme Court. How and also all these states in question, they also held uh, office in all those states like yeah. Georgia. So how were the Democrats able to pull off this steal? And then and and you think that would just be like a mic job, like yeah, that can't happen. And they're just you can't like argue with God, the, my friend. <laughs> that that's it you can't and it's just like well they're like well the democrats are just that clever i'm like well if that's the case then maybe they should be in charge i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i bet that one lands well yeah, yeah but no. that's that's kind of i mean what you just did that thought experiment whether that was a real conversation or like an ad lib of many, many that is human nature we respond eventually to snark it doesn't matter how much you try to just be like yeah but we have to stick with evidence what well, yeah, but are you sure? Eventually, when they're just snarky all the time and they act like they don't realize it, you just get snarky back. And whatever yeah. the trick is that the other side is deploying, once this is a moralistic thing, it's it's a moralistic thing. And the the you again, you started here to some degree about how the trope that the United States is not founded on religion, but also is founded on religion, because they they always the cognitive dissonance goes together. It's separation of church and state, but we came here for religious freedom. Neither of those are really true. We came here to avoid taxes, and we said we're being persecuted over there because they want us to pay taxes. There were some other things too, but there was it wasn't just the, the all the Christians in the country jumped on a boat and ran from King George. That's right. a total flattening of what was going on at the time. Not King George, way before King George. Nonetheless, there. These, this is what we do in the United States. It's black or it's white. It is yes or it is no. And those of us in the middle that are trying to say, you've talked about abortion as well. In t unless we're going to stop just running to our respective corners and screaming at the other side about how evil they are, we're, we just, what, we stalemate at rock bottom? Because there's got to be a movement forward, but nobody, the liberals have been so good at destroying ourselves for five years now that... And that's only gotten worse that you get on Twitter, you get on Facebook and you notice liberals shredding other liberals because they disagree about one thing or they like it. it we oh, need yeah. to take some of that ripping ourselves apart about half and apply it to the conservative party. And maybe we can mix everybody back up because they're at least unified by and large. And they'll put up uh, this. We've talked about this today, too, with a lot of people to their left and to their right that they're like, "Ooh, that guy's building a noose. And that guy's carrying a Confederate flag and wearing an Auschwitz sweatshirt. I'm wearing my cross, so, you know, God loves us all. That is not enough criticism. And over on the left, we've said, well, we'll make up for that. We'll fire, you know, people for all sorts of stuff and make whatever the 
the argument about cancel culture, which was almost laughable for a while. There's been like cases where we're like, just don't give people ammo. Let's pick our battles right now and recognize we are in a crisis that we've got to just figure out a way to come together. I agree. And and, and the thing is, when the left gets, when they lean a little too far left, whether or not they, they might be right with some of these things, like the, the transgender bathroom, stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, the, the the right uses that as ammunition to infuriate the base and what and you're not gaining anything on the left by 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 being obnoxious about your your views and the yeah. thing is and the lgbtq thing they keep adding letters and i'm like all right so i had to figure out what's i and a mean and a is like a is asexual and my my opinion there is like all right i, I you're just the, the right is going to use this as ammunition and also do you think the plight of the person who doesn't want to have sex is the same as the person who wanted to marry somebody of their you know same gender no and, but they're no. putting it in the same box though and it's like i, I don't yeah. know what you're doing here and I feel like it's it's just you're, you're getting a little like Bill Maher. I like watching him sometimes because he's he's more in the Bill middle. Bill Maher, I knew I knew I you're a man after my own heart. <laughs> my wife hates him, and that's why I watch him. I hate him sometimes too. I'm like, Shut uh, yeah, the I don't fuck always agree with him. <laughs> yeah, then when the, when he did the he hated on the um, harm reduction thing that really infuriated me. But yeah. I know he just he was just ignorant on that. But he's like, really, heroin's okay. It's like you're missing the whole message of harm reduction, Bill. You're just not getting it. Yeah. But most of the time he, he'll say things, you know, like if it sounds like an onion headline, don't say it. Like, why are you like, cause some of the stuff on the left is just kind of, it's just crazy. And it's like, all right, but you're, the farther you get left, the further they're going to get right. And you got it. We got to That's together. the problem. Right. Nikki Haley this morning was on, this is funny. I like that we're going here. We're both talking about, I was watching Fox news this morning because I think that's important and not, I not only turned on actual Fox news, but it's Sunday morning when we're recording this. So I turned on the local Fox weekly news show because they do meet the press and NBC and something on CBS that's liberal too. But the Fox still has this uh, conservative bent and Nikki Haley was on and she was, it was, she was reciting what you were saying. And this isn't, this is, I think the reason that liberals feel so comfortable throwing their own mind booger back, which is like LGBTQIA rights and you're a bad person. And it's all non-critical. It's just talking point. She was saying the typical, they, anytime someone evokes they, I'm like, oh geez, here we go. But they want our school children to choose their own gender and they want to let people use whatever bathroom they want to use. And in my mind, every time I hear this, I'm like, can we just take those one at a time? And can you finish the thought? Who, how does this work any other way? There, there is no, if somebody comes to school and says, I am a girl, put them in the class and mind your business. Like at what yeah. point do we get to genital police that now have to make decisions that are like, Ooh, well, before anything else, I need to check you with no pants on. Oh, send them to the doctor. Let the doctor check them with no, why do you give a shit? But it's powerful. It is political power invested mm -hmm. in those terms. And I, what's wild is I'd love to be able to say, so they're just full of shit. They're just lying. I don't think that's how humans work. I think you, you stymie the discussion at the end of your statement, because if you let yourself consciously think very much further, you run right into, well, then who do we elect the genital police or who do we elect? We got to, we got to genetically test everybody. And if you've got an XY chromosome, sorry, buddy. And what counts is an adequate performance of gender and who now we not only need the genital police, apparently we need the gender police too, because if this boy that I said is a boy is not dressing enough, like a boy, there's no logical logistical way to even make the argument work. And you're supposed to be the party of love. So if you don't agree with someone's decisions, when did we move to a point where the answer is illogical claims? But because that's such an illogical thing that you can't even think forward on, there is no way to have genital and gender police. The answer, I think you're right, is for liberals to say, 
blah, 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 because we feel like that's really strong ground to stand on rightly so by the way there's yeah. there's this is a movement that like the first few letters on there lgbtq uh, i are facing historically right now a very similar set of circumstances and hopefully in 30 years that's not the case anymore and we will almost be forced to pull those identities apart and they'll have their own fractured movements because please let us be at a point where we've at least started to do a little better and we're never mm-hmm. going to be perfect but yeah right now we're in a heterotypical you've talked about this a lot too a culture that has been built to privilege one performance of gender and identity and race and wealth and able-bodiedness you're supposed to be all those things in the right way but that also is like said let's never acknowledge it and for goodness sake let's teach the kids at a young age the perfect way to not notice that they're not acknowledging it let's send them to abortion rallies and before they're really old enough to critically think about it so that the people that flip them off cement those beliefs i went to detroit when I was 12 and spent the weekend knocking on doors and inviting people to what I was told was the free Carmen concert until they got there. And it was a tourist trap. It was like, buy our t-shirts and CDs and here's the offering plate coming around. And same sort of stuff where I'm like, I knew that that was identity. I mean, what else had I done at 12 years old that was that instrumental? And when people would say, well, what'd you do last summer that was big? I went to Detroit and brought people to Christ, right? Yeah. Yeah, yep. it's kind of it's an, it's annoying from this side to realize how powerful that is. You can't question that stuff. Yeah, and it is that's, that they get you when you're young. They want to submit it, and it's it is funny too. I remember growing up, I didn't believe in Santa Claus because my parents were told by the church that if we believed in Santa Claus and we found out he wasn't real, then we would actually not believe in Jesus. And I, or we would que- question Jesus. But the, the thing is, I think that they actually got it wrong psychologically because it makes sense when you say that out loud. But the idea is that if I believed in Santa Claus because I wanted to and because they told me that I'm creating a place in my brain that believes in cre- cre- strange bullshit and it makes yeah. a place more. So the Jesus that thing feels would be more cemented. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, things and because, that feel good. And also the Santa Claus story is much more fun for a child than the Jesus story, which is kind of scary. The hell yeah. and fucking crucifixion. Yeah. So I think for a kid to believe Santa Claus, it really opens up that part of your brain to believe in Christianity. And because I didn't have that, I think I was less susceptible to Christianity. So it actually had a reverse effect. And I I don't know, I'm not a psychologist, but just from things that I've read, I'm like, it kind of makes sense, I think. Yeah, that's deep. Because yeah, we learned it the other way and it was just fear-based. So it was Halloween, it was everything. Like, well, there's people that believe that and there might be spirits out there that are part of it, but you're supposed to shun all that stuff. The Easter bunny was an attempt to steal Easter. And it's funny how (laughs) all those things are, it's what we're talking about. They actually, the closer you look, what really makes you angry is that it wasn't just misleading in a way you didn't notice, and that was really powerful. So you just believed it without question, but it's usually covering up some harm from the past where often Christians appropriate these holidays from other cultures, rebrand them, put anybody in jail that doesn't agree by the new rules, and then get offended when there's an Easter bunny because capitalism comes in and does the same thing, right? We've always celebrated solstices, which is what Easter is, Mm -hmm. and it's always been sort of religious-centered, but time and again when Christian groups have showed up places and seen these, quote, pagans celebrating it with their own way, we've been forced, same thing with the Dia de los Muertes and Halloween here, we don't have those histories really available to us. And when some Yahoo like me shows up and wants to talk about them, our privilege starts screaming, I don't want to hear this thing. I don't want to think past. They want people to be able to say whatever gender they are is what they are. Keep going. Walk me through why that's a problem or how you're (laughs) going to avoid that anyway. Yeah. Well, the the fear mongering on their side, what they're trying to tell the parents is, 
look, it's going to become a fad and your kids are going to think they can fit in. And I'm sure there's a small percentage of that that'll happen, but guess what? The kid's going to grow out of that if it's just a fad. And then the kids that don't grow out of it, it's because it was real. So it's like, again, not a problem. Oh, my kid wants to wear a dress. Let him wear a dress. How is that their body? Right. Right. But that's another conversation. Oh, don't, don't go there. Cause I'm already, it's only their body when they're in the womb. That's when it's their body and their right to live. Once they're born, nope, no rights, no individuality. And better be a Christian. And that's another a weird thing about Christianity. Not a weird thing. Why it works so well is because the story says this is the only God. And if you're not this God, you're going to go to hell. And your job as a Christian is to go spread that word. And therefore, the coexist stickers that I liked when I first yeah. saw, I realized they, they don't work with Christianity and Islam and these religions that are that are all or none. It's just yeah. they're not able to coexist very well. I'd love to write this book someday and draw the lines between I have to find some more way to do it in love because that trauma I was talking about still comes up. But I, I think that what we're seeing right now culturally and not just Trump, he's just a symptom. It could have been any other person. Mm-hmm. It was that identity is what people want it right now. And they use their religious and spiritual identities to say that's why we want it. I see that the line, the roots we've been drawing today between the, the tent of faith, as I said, or the part of your brain that you build in a way that says this stuff doesn't need evidence. And in fact, evidence is not welcome over here. Different way of thinking for just some things. I think that learning that at a young age in the way that we learned it is directly responsible for where, at, where we're at culturally. And that's an awful scary thing to say for some people, because it would mean that I don't think we need to get rid of religion, but I think that we've got to do some looking in the mirror and and figure out a way to be more responsible with our drug use, not just religion, all drugs, but maybe that'll be the era we're moving towards where we start to recognize like, no, seriously, all drugs, even the ones you take every day and that your ma took every day and that her ma took every day and that the pastor takes with you on the weekends. Yeah, I, I think if we could get to a place economically that was more inclusive for everybody, because uh, what comes down to if people have enough and people have happy lives, they're not going to be so angry about politics. They're not going to be so angry about the religion, religious beliefs yeah. if they're living happy lives. But a lot of people are just not living fulfilling happy lives, and they're using their own inner anger to, you know, out yeah. to, to and the, and what, what's going to come up is going to be their politics and relig- whatever they they think they can be mad about. They're going to be. So we need and the, the idea though. Another reason why I'm a liberal is I think we need to figure out a way to tax the billionaires and, and get some of that wealth back down. Uh, you know. To, more equality and then i think we'll see a society heal so i think if we don't do that and we try to go after the politics or the religion itself we're not we're not going to win that way yeah i think we're going to have to evolve i'm hoping some of us already have and we just haven't figured out what it was but i see people like you and i i know we've we've always existed people that grow up and are taught a certain faith but it it's worth us keeping in mind how you made it sound easy for you but how hard it was to let those things go and how if another 10 years would have gone by before you rethought some of those things and questioned some of those things it would have been even harder those are the foundations of your identity and your life and your relationships and your like my wife was terrified when i started to say i was an atheist because she was like we know what that means right if he doesn't stop saying that shit within a couple weeks here we're gonna have to talk about getting divorced and what do you know true to the stereotype for long she was an atheist which is Another thing our country has really weird going on right now, people that are in unyoked, unequally yoked relationships and like Christians that are in marriages with uh, Kellyanne Conway and her husband, who yeah. are both Republicans, but disagree. And um, I'm totally spacing on the old guy's name. Uh, Clarence Thomas. No, 
because he's no him and his wife they, I'm assuming, they agree. Yeah, yeah 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 but the older uh god i just looked up his name his, his wife's name is mary cole uh, anyway i'll remember as soon as i stop trying to remember but we have a lot of these it wouldn't have been unusual my family was my dad like is all but of an atheist now when he started to realize he always was he didn't go to church but my mom was you know blood-bought evangelical and the damage that's done when people see those you don't I'm, I'm, I don't want to judge individual relationships, but there's got to be something missing that should be there if you're really going to equally yoked seems a really good applicable metaphor here from the Bible. How are you pulling in the same direction if the, the belief that is so important that you base every decision you make all day every day on it is in dialectical opposition so that they both can't be right. One of you is going to burn an eternal damnation, impossible, depending on what your beliefs are. How can you both go to bed in the same house? And if you really believe that, you'd be terrified. So what sort of yeah. what sort of trick are you playing on yourself that you're using up all this energy on not just lining those things up, but that's kind of been the theme of today too, is when you believe it, you when you believe you believe it, the longer that goes by, the harder it is to update those yeah, beliefs and belief. No, my, my in-laws are that way. Um, they, uh, every time we go over dinner, we all hold hands and her dad put praise to Jesus. He loves you Jesus. You still do it? Oh, I, I, yeah, I'll sit there holding hands. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> what guy. if, what if one, somebody came, what if they were at somebody's house and they wanted to do a, a Hindu prayer or a Muslim prayer? Do you think they would participate? Well, the, the, well, my mother-in-law is, is, uh, she's, she's an atheist. She doesn't care, but she sits there with all of us and hold hands. And would, would he do a Hindu? That's a good question. Because again, because Christians they they look at other religions as evil, um, as products oh, yeah. of the devil, yeah. and so I don't know. Um, I doubt it, and that's the only reason I say no. When people ask to pray for me, I'm like, you're welcome to to make yourself feel better when I leave, but I don't. I would not feel comfortable asking you to engage in my religious rituals. I'm not sure where on earth you think it was okay to ask me to play along, and I, I think that's that. Again, I'm not saying this is you, but the reason I made this move is. I found myself sitting with those people and I felt like they were reading me as moving. Like maybe this is the moment Ben comes back and it felt like I was not being true to myself. And as soon as I could defend that rhetorically with the tricks I'm doing now, which is to say, I don't think my, my family would let somebody, if I showed up and said, I am now practicing Eastern meditative religion, I'd like to do a spiritual religious ritual with you. Will you join? No, not a freaking chance. Well, can I just bless you with these blessing stones and this anointing oil of the god krishna they'd be like no absolutely not get out of our house yeah i can return that favor that's that's what i was raised to do in all honesty i was raised to, to think that my religious identity was superior but also to never acknowledge that i'm just the one that's right they're all wrong <laughs> you know i'm going back home for christmas i guess i got an ex experiment to do now I'm going to go there and talk about Christian and see if I can do a prayer. Just, I'm curious because I don't know how I, 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 in my mind, I think they would just go along with it, but would they? I don't know. Now my, I, if, I they, know, if they knew you were sincere, if it would make a difference. Well, I could be sincere because I, I actually do. I, 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 and I go to a Buddhist temple sometimes right here. And so I actually, I enjoy the, those religions and um, it's still when they talk about the reincarnation rebirth, I'm like, I don't know about all that. Maybe, maybe not, but I'm more of a Zen Buddhist. I like meditation. I think it works. I like doing yoga. And um, it works. but my cousin does yoga, and I know that my my her father is um 
is a little weirded out by yoga. He thinks it's a little bit too Buddhist. So, I mean, so I think <laughs> I know he wouldn't do, go along with my shit. But the, I think my mom and some of my aunts might just be like, ah, Aaron's being Aaron. Let him do his thing. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't take it seriously the way I don't take them seriously when we pray to their God. But I hold their hands and would do the thing, whatever. And that's why you're you're so much, uh, you are not as awful as me. Like, you seem to have a softer demeanor when these things pop up. And I'm like, I am so tired of you me at eight years old that heaven's gates and hell's flames the movie they produced was like showed people picking up their dad picking up their family from church and then drinking a beer on the way home and then crash in the car and the family goes to heaven while they scream as he's dragged down to hell i'm like oh those things are just still bitter in my mouth but um the flip side of it is i i mean i was somebody that loved the drug from speaking in tongues slaying in the spirit all that stuff we'd march around the church and uh, one person would interrupt the singing sometimes with a message in tongues, and then we'd all sit in silence, kind of look around for a minute or two until someone else said, my children, and like translated the tongues, I guess speaking for Jesus to all of us. It was Talk about one accord. It was like being at the original Woodstock. Yeah, and it is. It does something. It's definitely a powerful thing. I've never, I never did the speaking in tongues thing, but my family does, and um, or some of them do, and it's not very co- common. But, but sometimes it'll happen, and they'll talk about. It. It's just so weird to me. But um, and as far as me being like an asshole about their religion, um, I when I was young, when I was first, you know, went the other way when I was like twenty years old, I was the outspoken like this is a bunch of bullshit, and I was mad about it, and I was like, and I would call them out constantly, if, if just if anything. But now it's like I've just kind of went in a way where it's like, I'm not going to change their mind. They're not changing my mind. I, I'd rather have a good relationship with them and just be happy in their presence and, and then, be, then be happy in my presence and not constantly question the one thing that they're holding on that they need to be true because they're so scared of death or whatever they're scared of is, is why they yeah. need that so bad. So yeah. it's like, I don't know. I, I like I, it. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, 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 let's wrap this up because I got a, another podcast at two o'clock yeah um but ben it's always great talking with you man yeah this was fun i'm sorry i hijacked it i like i said your last two episodes were really good and man my god you got 56 57 now keep it up and you i don't know how the hell you read as much as you do but you're always talking about another book that i'm like well i gotta buy that now too so <laughs> keep up the good work i will man you i don't too. know if you're into if you're into prison movies i got a book that i can send you a draft of that's about shawshank and orange is the new black and how we learned how awful prisoners are from that stuff that comes out next year so if you want a copy of it let me know i'll send you one i i actually like to buy it just to support what you're doing cool what, what, what when's it coming out what's the name of it it'll be called the spectacle of punishment and i probably march of 2023 it's due the draft is due i should be working on it right now it's doing like six days i'm like it's probably good enough now <laughs> I, I love the concept man it sounds fucking awesome all right yeah. so um yeah, and also, I mean, I hate that we didn't get it up in Colorado. That was my fault. I just the, the I traveled. Travel I get it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and if I, I would have known you'd been hiking, I wouldn't have invited you on a damn hike. I always, when people are here from out of the state, in my mind, I'm like, they probably are intimidated of the mountains, but like you're in Denver and you want to go. So I'm always trying to figure out a way. I didn't know you'd been in Aspen the day before, or I would have said, I'll just come over. <laughs> yeah, my my buddy lives in a snowmass, so we we went up hiking up. He took us all hiking up there, and it was really, really, absolutely beautiful. I'll I mean, get you when i'm in florida maybe if we get out that way yeah and also i'll be back i'll be back in colorado next time i I figured out what problem was i I actually flew in friday but i wanted me and my wife to have a night where i'm like it's just gonna be us because we're gonna get it with my friend and i want to get it with ben i first day when we come in is when i need to get up with you that way i'm fresh i'm energized let's get up let's hang out i I got atvs too so if you guys want to i could go riding up in the mountains that are only about 45 minutes away let me know those are 
That's uh, Colorado. There's no hell more. yeah. It's so funny too. I was, we were just watching a TV show last night and they were on uh, riding uh, four wheelers and I asked my wife if she's ever ridden. She said, no, I was like, Oh, you got to, there's so much fun. Yeah. So I just brought it up yesterday. So yeah, I'm your guy. So yeah, cool. I appreciate it. Let's do one on my show. Maybe we can get into the Kratom a little bit. All right. Schedule some somewhere down the road. Yeah. Let me know. Cool. Talk to you soon. All right. All right talk to you soon. Later. Later. All right. As always, if you enjoy what we're doing, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter at the Peace on Drugs Podcast, and go to www.thepeaceondrugs.com slash subscribe. Subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you so much for joining me. We're going to let Twiggy Branches take us on out. out. You pay for what you get.